creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Every episode of this show starts with the idea that on the creative journey, it's easy to get lost. And I genuinely, very deeply, from personal experience, believe that this is very true. Uh, So true that it hurts almost every time I hear it. Uh, We have often spoke about how in our everyday, when we do get some space to actually make something that we can't often make any progress. Because when you're truly lost, you don't know if if every step is getting you closer to where you want to be or further away. You know, if you don't know, like, where should I, I'll go this way and you start walking, every step starts hurting because you're like, wait, is it, am I getting further from being found? I don't know because you're lost. So you take a few steps in one direction. You're like, nah, 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 man, this creative work has been done before. It's old news. Why? No, this can't be what I should be spending my time doing. So you stop, turn around, go the other way walk that way for a little bit and you're like why am i even doing this this is just totally selfish i should be helping spending time with my kids i should be helping somebody else who's doing something actually worthwhile this is just selfishness so you stop and turn around and go back the other way and you do this kind of back and forth dance with yourself only to end up completely depleted exhausted no further than when you started out how do how does one scale such an insurmountable blockage how can you finally get over that thing that's in your way from actually making progress to where you want to go today on the show i want to explore how to get over that enormous obstacle how to get over yourself let's do it This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. 
got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Chapter one, get all of you on the same track. The first thing I think you have to do to really start making progress and get past yourself from self-sabotaging is you've got to get out of that lost creative loop by getting every aspect of yourself going the same direction. Let me explain what I mean by that. To, to do so, I have to say, what's the first word that comes to mind when I say the word art? What's the word you associate with that? For me, it's probably the word original, unique, singular, novel, one of a kind, out of the box, the singular individual. These are the notions that I associate with the purpose and the point of art, at least subconsciously, impulsively, I think of art as kind of synonymous with unique or novel. And this impulse to be unique is personified probably best in my mind when I start thinking about having an original moment as an artist. I think of Natalie Portman in the movie Garden State. There's this moment in that movie where she tells Zach Braff that whenever she's feeling unoriginal, she like stands up from the bed and she contorts her body and is like, blah, 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 and does this gibberish dance. Blah, 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 And she does that because she knows that even if anybody else in the past has made that sound and made their body into that shape, that they definitely haven't done so right in that spot in her room. And in that way, she's just had a totally original moment. I think about this thing from time to time because, you know, there's a lot of quantum astrophysicists that believe in determinism, this idea that everything is going to play out exactly as it's going to play out regardless of what you think of as your free will. And that's when I start wanting to stand up and be like, yep, did you get new? And then the physicist is just like, yeah, we knew you were going to do that because your atoms and DNA are such that you have to do one of these moves from time to time and it's all kind of pre-orchestrated. Anyway, that that kind of makes the creator who wants to be original and unique want to crumble and, and melt in a puddle. Now, on the other hand, when I think about business or commerce, the idea of utility comes to mind. Something useful to other people. The You know, something that has value for the community or is scalable, even valuable for the masses. This notion of usefulness for me is embodied 
probably mostly by Thomas the Tank Engine, which might not be the first person that comes to my person. He's he's not a person. He's a train. He's a tank engine. But he's the person who I think of when I think about being useful. Have you ever seen that show? It's with the trains and the conductors and Sir Topham Hat. Uh, My son was obsessed with this show when he was a toddler. And it's actually got a killer cast. It's got legends. Ringo Starr from the Beatles. Ever heard of him? George Carlin. Frenchie from Greece. Huge Grease fan and um, Shining Time Station, something like that. That was the version of Thomas the Train that was on when I was a kid. Anyway, for having such a legendary, far out cast, the show is peculiarly, peculiarly uh, and deeply capitalist, kind of utilitarian, authoritarian in tone. (laughs) Like, I remember watching it with my son and being just blown away by how every single episode is about whether the trains will be good trains or bad trains, depending on how useful they are, especially how useful they are to the boss man. (laughs) That their value and merit comes from whether they serve a purpose to others that they don't have any inherent value unless they're useful. And if they fail to do so, actually the mayor boss guy, Sir Topham Hatt, has literally been known to brick up their tunnel and leave them to rot for eternity. (laughs) If you don't believe me, there's a whole New Yorker article going deep into this idea of how they did old poor Henry, the mixed traffic tender engine, so savagely. It's very disturbing actually, (laughs) but that's, The usefulness is just personified by being a good little tank engine. And so that's what I think of when I think of the utility of business. So art is this novelty of the individual. Business is about the utility for the masses. They are complete polar opposites. So what does this have to do with getting all of you going the same way? Well, you can imagine this kind of notion of art's about being original, business is about being valuable. How shocking it was to me when I first heard that the best working definition for creativity for neuroscientists, uh, the best definition they have when studying the brain and how creativity happens there, they define creativity as something that is both novel and useful, something that is both surprisingly original and unsurprisingly utilitarian. For something to qualify as creative to a neuroscientist, it has to be both unique and valuable. And it got me thinking, and I think you can pull that apart quite a bit. You can really think about, you know, what it means to be unique. There's a huge, we're going to get into this a little bit at the end. There's a huge spectrum of what it means to be unique. There's a huge spectrum of what it means to be valuable. But both have to be true for neuroscientists to deem some act or idea as truly creative. And it just kind of blew my mind because I don't think that's the way that we think about creativity. I think we think of creativity kind of just on the art side as being unique. Like the, it's synonymous. Creative is synonymous in most of our minds with originality. 
but it got me thinking like, is it possible that art and business aren't truly two completely different separate things, but rather like extreme ends of the same thing, the same spectrum, that spectrum being creativity? Is it possible that that artist Jekyll and the businessman, Mr. Hyde, are really shockingly just different expressions of the same person, man? I mean, in one way, there's absolutely no denying it. They are two wildly different expressions of one thing, being human. The need to identify both as the individual and as a piece of the whole is a deeply human need that's also a complete contradiction. There's a tension and a balance to this expression. And what if true creativity was found in expressing both at the same time, man? Like, what if that's what the neuroscience definition is all about, that's tr that it's implying? Now, let's take a little side train track down a t totally different thing. Let's talk about a new Marvel show that I'm, you know, I, I took a huge break from Marvel. Just, I want to get a little credit for that. I didn't watch any Marvel movies for a long time, and I was very sophisticated, and then my friend got me watching them again, and then my daughter got into it, and I'm swept up in the whole thing. Truth is, uh, Marvel was a huge part of my childhood, and now I'm just a complete nerd all over again. Um, and I always have been, that's the truth. That's the Mr. Hyde that I've been hiding this whole time, but, um, <laughs> I'm not some sophisticated artist. Anyway, there's a new Marvel show out called Moon Knight. I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Three episodes have been out. I have seen them. I'm just going to talk about the premise. My inner nerd is super excited about this show because for me, when I was little, I loved the Marvel cartoon series like the 90s X-Men and Spider-Man shows. Those were like my total number one jam as like a preteen. And then my main Marvel obsession was the trading cards. I don't know if it was just that my family was crazy about sports and sport trading cards and all that kind of thing. And I just wanted to be part of that community, but also an individual. So it's like, I'm not into sports, but I do have cards. I don't know. Very, very within the theme here, but there were a handful of superheroes that I knew only from one or two of those cards that I owned. And I didn't have access to the comics or anything else about them. I just, I liked the, how they looked. I liked the little blurbs of their stories on the back. And I love their superpowers. And that's how they became my absolute favorites, even though I didn't have, you know, much to go on. And maybe it's just the kind of annoying artist in me that wants to be original, but I just love those obscure characters. So characters like Deadpool, Black Panther, and Moon Knight were my favorite, even when I was really little. I was so cool, man. Very, very ahead of the time. Um, but never in my wildest dreams that I think I'm going to grow up into a world where whole mega budget series are going to be, uh, uh, you know, dedicated to these characters. And I'm basically living my childhood fantasy. Anyway, the premise of Moon Knight is basically a modern day superhero version of Jekyll and Hyde the proverbial disassociated identity formerly known as multiple personality disorder. And I just got thinking like, why does this trope never cease to capture my attention and a lot of other people's attention? Why do we like, what do we relate to? Most of us don't have disassociated personality disorder. And I think psychoanalyst Carl Jung would probably be like disorder or not 
this is every person's story because we all have to wrestle with and contend with the duality inside of ourselves. And I know what you're thinking, like, dude, what, what is this abstract, esoteric, deep dive into, you, you know, psychology have to do with your creative journey or creative career? But I actually think that as, as Boffin-esque as this sounds, it's actually practically true and has real implications. Like you have a duality within you. The, you have these two versions of you that are trying to go separate ways. And it's, I think, why you walk one way, stop, turn around and go back the other way and end up in the same place having, you know, made no progress in your creative journey. You have the one part of you that is the persona that you show other people, the acceptable image that we project out into the world. Let's say that of a artist or a doctor, you know, Dr. Jekyll and the shadow of our true selves, the part of the of us that we repress and dare I even say hide, aka Mr. Hyde, um, <laughs> hi oh, uh, but Moon Knight, Jekyll and Hyde, Fight Club, Portman and Thomas. I know what you're thinking. You're like, Andy, wait, you can't, there's no way. Uh, or is Natalie Portman actually Thomas the Train? Okay, that's just insane. But I'm just putting this out here. Sir Portman hat. It's, I mean, give or take a few letters. It's right there, man. But more importantly, let's get to the point of all this. Even without watching one episode of Moon Knight, just knowing the premise, you can be pretty much certain that the point of this story is the same as all of these fables and myths about how we must take the, the parts of ourselves, the thesis of our persona and the antithesis of our shadow. And we have to synthesize and integrate them. Otherwise, chaos will ensue. I don't know if this is exactly what's happening, but it's helping me give some framework to how to understand why we struggle to make progress. Why do we struggle? Why do we self-sabotage? Why do we get in the way of ourselves? Why do we go one way for a little bit? We start a new project. We're super pumped about it. And then we just let it fall by the wayside and do it all over again and go in all these different directions and get nowhere. I think it has something to do with these rival forces. And if we don't figure out how to get them working on the same thing, we're going to stay where we are forever. What am I saying? I'm saying your inner portman has better get on board, man. And that little steam engine inside of you is never going to get back on the right track without a conductor leading the way. Choo-choo! All aboard the Portman Express. Next stop, creative breakthrough. That's what I'm trying to say. 
but hold on a second. Moon Knight confirmed the existence of disassociated split identities in the MCU. Natalie Portman is the star of the new Marvel movie Thor, so she's in there too. And it's called Love and Thunder. Hello. You don't think it's Natalie Love Portman and Thomas Thunder the Train? Is Thomas part of the MCU? Oh my gosh, this is bigger than Spider-Man 3. Anything's possible. If they can learn to work together, that is. That should be the little, <laughs> should be the tagline on the poster of Love and Thunder. I can just see it now. Natalie Portman riding, uh, riding on top of the tank engine into space. <laughs> but the same is true for you. Anything is possible if these different parts of you can synthesize. If you can get that inner piece of you that longs to be unique and mix it with the desire to make a difference and be part of the community, that little Venn diagram of novelty and utility is where the creative breakthrough is hiding. Let's talk about how to actually put some of these big weird ideas to good use. Chapter two, restore the balance. The second thing you got to do to start getting yourself going the same direction and actually get somewhere, I think, is you've got to restore the balance of these two opposing forces. Back to Natalie Portman. She's already had experience. She, she very easily could be split identity with Sir Topham Hatt. She's already done that with another Brit, Kira Knightley, in Star Wars Episode One. I didn't. I actually was doing, you know, important quote unquote research for this episode and realized that the royal assistant that she switches places with in Star Wars Episode One was actually Kira Knightley, which I'd completely forgot. A little bit of uh, juicy pop culture content coming <laughs> coming at you just to completely muddle up this whole insane thing, but. The two of force of uh, opposing forces of novelty and utility, not unlike the light and dark side of the of the force. You got to figure out how can you strike? How can you get right in the middle of these things where they overlap? How do you do that? What does that look like? And I've wrestled a ton with the notion of what kind of podcast this actually is. You know, is it a creative podcast? Is it a business podcast? Is it a creative career podcast, which is kind of both trying to strike the balance of those things, creative practice? I've always felt kind of this inner pushback of, on the notion of career because it seems like it's making art all about money, which is just doesn't feel right. And yet I have returned to that phrase over and over, the creative career idea. Why? I think it's because that, yes, I do want to see as many creators thrive to the best of their ability. Like that is a deep passion and purpose in my, uh, in this podcast and, and, and what I do on a daily basis. It means a ton to me as someone with ADHD. I hate to see people outside of their wheelhouse and, and when they have all this brilliance within them that could really be thriving in different places, all that really matters. And part of that is, yeah, about money and, and marketing and business and all that stuff. But I think I return to creative career over and over again because those who seem to do it best, those who are really, truly living their creative potential, they are what I would think of as career creatives. You know, there's the ups and downs of the creative genius. 
that is just not a life I, I want. And for the record, a life that I don't have as an option because I'm not a genius. But I've never, that's never been attractive to me of like hit crazy album and then 50 years of torture and then another comeback that just blows everybody away. I, I don't want that to be my life. I want to be a stable dad and day in, day out, make stuff that I'm pumped about and excited about and, and, and enjoy making. And I'm also just completely uninspired by the other extreme of the spectrum of just being in it for money or just business or just earning a living, like reducing art to trends and templates just does not inspire me either. But the career creatives that have a habit and a process and they learn to find the flow state on a consistent basis and they have those breakthroughs on regular occasions, not every time, but in a pattern. Those are the ones for me. I think of people like Taika Waititi, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Donald Glover. These are the kinds of people that most inspire me and what they, and even more so more than that, even the people you don't know, you know, people like Max Martin or people that are able to write hits over 40 years, even if their face there, you know, isn't the face of the hit, even if they're writing them for other people, like those are the people that's the kind of lifestyle that I want as a creator. And what they do is a type of novel usefulness that you can bet on. That's what makes it a career is striking the balance of those two things. And I've come to think of it like this. On one side, you have what we think of as art, the novelty side. On the other side, you have career or business, let's call that the useful end of the spectrum. And they are able to find the overlap uh, as a career creative, put it in a way that's helpful to my visual brain, a Venn diagram, like one circle is surprising. It's surprisingly novel, like an artist that never ceases to surprise you. And on the other side, you have unsurprisingly useful utility. You know, when you go to a business, you don't want to be surprised. You, you want to be like, I come to this business to, because I unsurprisingly count on them to take care of my plumbing. I don't want any surprises when it comes to the plumbing business. You know what I mean? Like does it deliver the specific type of value that I expect from you. And the overlap of that is a career creative. Every Taika Watiti movie unsurprisingly surprises me both at the same time. Like I know what I'm going to get. I know I'm, I know I'm unsurprised by the fact that I'm going to be delightfully surprised every time. That is the career creative striking the balance. And actually I think the best businesses actually do this as well. Maybe lean towards the utility, but they haven't lost sight of the fact that business is also about creativity, innovation, that you need something novel, something different than the competitor. I think Apple, when it was at its best, you know, warts and all, it's got all kinds of other issues or whatever, but Apple at its best would consistently show up every few years with something unsurprisingly surprising. You know, I think the business side has to take away, like you need an element of novelty. You need some of that innovation. The lesson for creators, though, is like Apple, you don't have to invent the personal computer, the iPod and the iPhone with every single piece that you make. You can take those novel things and create a utility, a useful style or voice or practice around them. You can create a whole business ecosystem around those little breakthroughs that come every so often. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be diving into a series 
that is all about just that. It's the career creative series, if you will. But for now, let's dive into an activity that will help you approach your practice in a way that restores balance to not just the art novelty, not just the business utility, but the creative that embodies the best of that spectrum. Let's do an activity. Let's take some action. Uh, here's a some homework, some a practice that can help you embody this thing in real time in your creative practice on a daily basis. The CTA call to adventure. It's the time for how to put some of this stuff to action. I'm going to call this the woodchuck activity. And I'm very passionate and excited about this because this is just something that came directly from a, an act, uh, a process that I went through that was really powerful and helpful to, to me in my own practice. And uh, those are my favorite kinds. The woodchuck woodchuck activity, what that's all about is, I've said that on this show a few times, I once heard uh, Jerry Seinfeld on, I think, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, his show say to another comic that he's just a joke chuck. Like the function that his brain does is create jokes. And he just created basically a business around that unsurprising, surprising quality of his brain. And I think that's what the career creatives do best. How can you just, what's the maple syrup that your tree produces? And how can you just create the right containers for picking those up? And this is the activity that I did to try to get to the bottom of like, what kind of work do I think I can show up and do in an unsurprisingly surprising way on a fairly consistent basis? And I took all of the episode art and I sorted through it, the best examples of different categories. And so I categorized kind of genres within my own portfolio. You could do this if you were a musician, you could do this with uh, art, you could do this with anything. Just like take your body of work from the past and try to identify the categories. So for me, I thought, okay, we've got a category, like some of this work is art therapy. We'll call it that genre where these episode art pieces are really about making art like on the nose and and it's really literal. There's ones that are like branding graphic posters. There are ones that explore decorative animal archetypes with symbolism. There's narrative journey. There's retro school sticker. There's weird concept, a weird, funny, kind of absurd. So there's all these categories. I put a bunch of work in these categories into actual folders. I sent it to my team, the creative pep talk people. And then I also, we ran a poll on Patreon. Um, It was really cool. A bunch of people chimed in. Narrative journey storybook category one, by the way, but also some of the other ones performed well, including retro school sticker. But that was the first thing. So I put categorized all these things, got feedback from some people, but ultimately I wanted to filter them through that Venn diagram of novel and useful. And I wanted to think which of these are most often really novel in that they're, they're like a unique concept and, you know, a coming together in a kind of elegant way that just fits and works in this novel way. 
but also are things that are on the in the business side where I know I can show up and do them all, every day almost. Like they're maybe they're not all great, but they're all good. And I just like it helped me sort through. Like I realized like oh there's categories here that they have the potential to be really great on the novel side, but they're really hard for me to come up with. And so it'd be difficult to create that maple syrup business. It'd be really difficult because I'm not a, a woodchuck of this particular category. Like my brain doesn't just do that. It's a lot of effort. And so in order to be the career creative, to find the thing that strikes the balance of both, I had to work through which of these comes natural most often. And I know I can build a system around it. That's, that's what a business is. You know, Les McEwen, the author of Predictable Success, a business book, he talks about a business starts taking off when they find a predictable market stream that they can count on. And that's how you can have enough predictability to build the systems around it in order to actually thrive. And so in terms of career creative, you can't just be waiting for those one in a million hit singles. That's how you end up becoming the one hit wonder. And you also can't just be churning out uninspired stuff that's the same thing you've been making for years and years and years and completely unsurprising people. And so for me, this process was super helpful. So you can categorize your work, maybe get some feedback from other people, but then also filter it through the Venn diagram of which are the ones that really feel novel, they really feel unique, they really feel special, uh, but they also feel like something that comes natural. And, you, and it's kind of hard because you might have to see how there are things that are way more novel, but you're going to have to maybe not build your whole practice around those lucky shots. This was super, super helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you too. thing I want to share with you. We'll call it the final chapter three, break the binary. I actually think that the problem might be the binary type of thinking of it's either creative or it's career. Like maybe the splitting of ourselves happens because we don't see them as one thing because we separate them. And that sounds really mystical and trippy, man. But I actually think it's uh, there's an actual practical implication to this that has been really powerful in my own life. And I'll, let me explain what I mean by that. When it comes to novel and useful, even those things, we can think super binary about those things. Uh, as I was researching recently uh, for the past series that we were doing, I was diving deep into those really dense science talks from neuroscientists and psychologists that are completely inaccessible and you only understand like every fourth word. But there's a guy, Dean Keith Simonton, super fascinating guy, way smarter than me, couldn't understand everything that he was saying. But I found it incredibly interesting when he gets into, he adds another layer to the novel useful thing, uh, which we won't go into right now, but how he would kind of grade a creative act would be through the lens of kind of giving a binary score on either a zero or a one 
on novelty and a zero or a one on usefulness or utility. And this was like useful in the means of the thing that he was doing. But at the end of his talk in a Q&A session, someone said, you know, how do you know that all this stuff applies to all cultures? Like, are you just studying this one particular section of the population from your country? Like, are you sure that these things apply everywhere? And he was like, actually, we have studied. And the thing that's common between all cultures is the brain. Like, the brain is relatively similar from place to place. And so in that way, all these things do apply. But then he said this thing that really kind of blew me away. He said, the one thing that does change is how people think about how a culture embraces and celebrates and defines what they see as creative. And he said that thing that we started with, which was in this country, we think of creativity. We think of art as uniqueness. We think of it as synonymous with originality. And there are a lot of cultures throughout the world that actually think of creativity much more as utility, much more as what I would say is sustenance for the soul, like serves a purpose for other people and actually don't put as much emphasis on uniqueness. And I was kind of wondering, I have a feeling that that has something to do with living in a capitalist culture where we have to commodify some intellectual property and therefore someone has to own it and to own it it must be original and so we put an emphasis on originality like i said i believe you want to get strike the balance of both but this way of grading is it original give it a one or is it not original give it a zero this all this q a section blew this all to smithereens because what you ended up having having were these different cultures that emphasize the different spectrums of novel and useful and when i started to dive into this i started to feel kind of unshackled because of course it's not zero or one it's either original or unoriginal you know you get on that path going down that road you start making something then it occurs to you like oh there's already a podcast like this or oh there's already a illustration like this. there's already a picture book kind of like this you know you're thinking of it as a zero or a one you're thinking of it in the split thing that got us into this mess in the first place instead of thinking there are so many shades of originality and there's so much that comes from creative work that that's eh, not the most original thing in the world, but dang, it really served a purpose. It really moved me and, and changed me or, or gave me some reprieve from my day. But then there's also stuff that didn't serve much of a purpose, but I'd never seen anything like it. And every single other thing in between. And just knowing that cultures and different people actually value and think about and define creativity in totally various different spectrum kind of ways should unlock and destroy that splitting binary within you that says, should I even do this? There's already things kind of like this. Well, are there any of them that have filtered through your hand? Because that might not be a 99% A plus original, like it's never been, it blew the world's socks off, but it might, maybe it's just like a C plus on the original side. Like it, there's a derivative quality to it, but it also came through your hand and your voice and your other influences and your other experiments. But then also it freaking really served a purpose for your community. It was an A plus on that side. And every creative endeavor you do 
Every movie you make, every piece that you make is gonna be somewhere, not pass or fail, but on that spectrum and therefore a worthwhile endeavor. And if you can embrace the oneness of that, I really think you're going to find that sweet spot in between. You're gonna get both sides of you to come together into one and go one direction, working on the same team and actually making some progress. All right, that's it. Massive thanks to all of you for listening. Huge thanks for those of you that have been coming out and supporting the show by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts. That makes a huge difference to whether other artists get exposed to this show. And if you get a bunch of value from it and you want other creatives to have that same experience, that's one of the best ways. And, and we see all those and they mean a ton to us. We had recently a fine artist named Eloise who is 61 just leave the most lovely review. And uh, I love that demographic is just warms my heart. Friggin' love that. Thank you, Eloise. Also someone on there <laughs> compared me to Bob Ross, which I never would have made that comparison because I uh, can, <laughs> I'm such a worst painter. More of a digital artist. I'm, I'm proud. I look, I think I'm good at making digital art uh, and I do it add some paint in there but um, I'm nothing compared to Bob Ross um, but that warmed my heart as well so thank you so much for all of you for doing that if you've never done that that's a great way to um, help us out huge thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and our jingle incredibly huge shout out to the creative pep talk team who I just adore and, and could not do this show without Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful editing this show just take it to the next level man making it a show not just a podcast. Love you, man. You freaking crush it. I love to see what you do with every episode. And huge thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller for content assistance. Um, lots of good ideas. Ryan had some good um, punch up ideas for adding to this episode. And um, yeah, if you liked the, the Striking the Balance Star Wars bit, you can thank Ryan if you hated it. You can blame him. Um, but, but seriously, thanks, team. Thanks to everybody for listening. And until we speak again, we're going to keep going on this career creative series. And we're going to get into striking that balance um, over the next couple of coming weeks. Hope you dig it. Speak soon and do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. <laughs>